May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is from the poet W.H. Auden. Just as we are all potentially in Adam when he fell, so were we all potentially in Jerusalem on that first Good Friday. It seems to me worthwhile asking who we should have been and what we should have been doing. None of us, I am, I'm certain, imagine ourselves as one of the disciples cowering in agony of spiritual despair and physical terror. Very few of us are big wheels enough to see ourselves as Pilate or good churchmen enough to see ourselves as members of the Sanhedrin. In my most optimistic mood, I see myself as a Hellenized Jew from Alexandria visiting an intellectual friend. We are walking alone, engaged in a philosophical argument, and our path takes us past the base of Golgotha. Looking up, we see an all-too-familiar sight, three crosses surrounded by a jeering crowd. Frowning with prim distaste, I say, it's disgusting the way the mob enjoy such things. Why can't the authorities execute people humanely and in private? Then, averting my eyes from the disagreeable spectacle, I resume our conversation about the true, the good, and the beautiful. I want to begin tonight by commending you for being here. Not only is it Friday night, but it is a tough question to ask who you should have been and what you should have been doing on that first Good Friday. It's tempting to avert our eyes from the disagreeable spectacle. I've read that line from Auden about 40 times this week, and every time I read it, something new jumps out. It's rich. And I love the humility with which he answers his own question. He imagines himself as an intellectual, earnestly discussing the transcendentals with a friend, and ironically oblivious to the beaten, bleeding embodiment of truth, goodness, and beauty right in front of his eyes. And that speaks to a temptation to so intellectualize our faith that we miss the more urgent, personal dimensions of following Jesus. Maybe that's a temptation you relate to, maybe not. Maybe you relate to the disciples, cowering in fear, sheltering in place, we might say, with good reason to be afraid. Or maybe you relate to Pilate, in that you desire at all times to keep the peace. And at times, that leaves you passive and tongue-tied when discussing matters of ultimate importance. For what it's worth, I think of myself as part of the mob. Rhapsodic on Palm Sunday. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Rabid by Friday. Take him away. We have no king but Caesar. And then there is Jesus's mother, his aunt, a couple other Marys, and the beloved disciple. They are undoubtedly who we should have been. But would we? 
Let's start here. The crucifixion of Jesus upended everything about how people thought God worked in the world. This is how the story ends? Jesus caught in the crosshairs of an empire, dying a slow, undignified, dehydrated death? The word of God re-baptized in his own tears and sweat. That's John Donne. Well, Good Friday is an event before it's a religious idea. God inscribed himself into world history. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. And the focus of Holy Week is not our journey, our longings, our wishes, our hopes, our dreams. The focus is on God. God is the subject of the verbs. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And St. Paul, he tells us that the cross, the event of the cross, is a stumbling block, a sign of contradiction, foolishness to the religious and secular alike. Why is that? Well, I think it's because on the cross, God achieves his intended purpose by doing the exact opposite of what people expected. We might put it like this. On the cross, God revealed his attributes in the form of their opposites. God unveiled his beauty in a scene that we could only really call vile. God revealed his goodness in something that was, as a matter of fact, obscene. God's truth is inscribed upon a placard that was not intended to be taken literally. God triumphed in apparent defeat. Jesus Christ, the preeminent one, hidden in the bosom of the Father, the firstborn of all creation, the one through whom all things came into being, is seemingly left behind, scorned by all, the outcast of the people, as we prayed earlier. And it's specifically that sense of being left behind, of being forgotten, of coming in last, that I want to reflect just a little bit on tonight. Imagine a room full of people. This shouldn't be too hard. You're in a room filled with people. Now, imagine that everyone in this room is given a unique amount of money that differs from the next person by only $1. So, you are given $17, but Joe is given $18, and Kathy is given $16. Shout out Peter's parents. But are you following me? Yeah. Okay. Now, you and everyone else in this room is given an additional $2. You had $17, now you have $19. But here's the catch. You cannot keep that additional $2. You have to give it away to either the person who has $1 more than you or $1 less than you. Now, what would you do? Well, you are all very kind-hearted people. You would give your money to the person who has less than you, right? Why would you further enrich the one who already has more? This little thought experiment 
was indeed an actual experiment put on a number of times in a number of different settings by a group of psychologists and economists. And what they found is what I just said. Most people, most of the time, gave their extra $2 to those who had less than them. Except, except those who were second to last in the original distribution list. Those people, and those people alone almost half the time, gave their extra $2 to the person who had more than them. Now, why is that? Well, according to one of the lead authors of the study, Alana Kuzmemko, sorry, Alana, did not say that right, it's because no one wants to come in last. It's painful. There is a basic human need to avoid it. And the scholars now have a term for this phenomenon that you can Google. It's called last place aversion. I think we all know what that feels like. It might have happened to us quite literally as a child on the playground. It might have happened to us more indirectly last week in some social setting where we were made to feel like an outsider. We were not in, in the jokes. Left out, chosen last. Either you've been that person and or you've made someone else feel like that person because you don't want to be that person, right? Some of the meanest people I've ever met are motivated by that fear. I don't want to be left out, so I'm going to make sure you feel like that. Well, the message of Good Friday, or one of the messages of Good Friday, is that our God, the creator of the universe, has no aversion to coming in last place. In the words of Isaiah, he was rejected like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Two quick things to say about our God coming in last, and then I'll be done. First, that our God knows what it's like to be forgotten is great comfort to those who are forgotten, to the hurting and vulnerable and low-esteemed peoples of the earth. I read this week that over the last 30 days, 11,000 unaccompanied migrant children have been detained on the U.S. border. As we gather tonight, thousands of them are being housed in overcrowded holding cells. Now look, the politics of immigration, what's a good word? Fraught? Even the way you describe it can signal your commitments, and I do not want to get into that. But I do want to say, that our faith and our crucified God has to have some connection to vulnerable, hurting people everywhere, most especially children. And if it doesn't, if our God stands so far off from human suffering, then what worth is it to those who are indeed suffering? More closer to home, we are standing on the precipice of what may be a very fun, joy-filled spring and summer. The vaccines are here. Praise the Lord. This last year has been very hard, at least for me. But we, we should remember something. Before the pandemic, we were the most entertainment-addled, drug-addicted, mentally and physically unhealthy society in the history of the planet. And it's not like our destructive, compulsive habits have gotten better 
over the last 12 months. Life was very hard in February of 2020 for some people. And life will be very hard when this whole thing is in the rear view mirror. And therefore, the one thing that we need, and I think the one thing for certain that we can say today on Good Friday, is that we do not worship a God for whom suffering, coming in last, being left out, is a foreign experience. He knows what it's like to be left behind. And he can comfort us when that becomes our experience. First thing. Second thing. What happened to Jesus was remarkable and irrevocable, not just because it was God, the the beloved of the Father, suffering such indignity, but because the indignity that he suffered was rightfully ours. Jesus was our substitute. There are more ways of talking about what the cross represents, but that is not untrue. It's more than that. It's not less than that. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And it is indeed endlessly comforting and stabilizing to consider the solidarity that God has with the vulnerable, pained people of our planet. But we do not stop there. We must also speak of liberation and victory. Liberation and victory that we receive in the great exchange. Pontius Pilate made a feeble attempt to spare Jesus capital punishment. I find no basis for a charge against this man. No, no, the people respond. We have a law, and according to that law, he must be put to death. He must. It's what he deserves. This is how human beings always sanction the use of lethal force. It has to happen. This is what they deserve. And But of course, the irony of this situation is that it's the exact opposite. He is the one person who did not deserve it. And to return to that question that Auden raised at the outset, who should we have been? Well, of course, we should have been the disciples. Who ought we have been? Well, in some ways, how do I say this? The wages of sin are indeed death. There is a complicity that we all share in the corruption of God's loving purposes for humankind. We are implicated in the insurgency against God's creation that human history in some ways represents. Death was the wage paid to Adam in the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took that wage and bore it himself. That phrase, the great exchange, it comes from another line in a very different piece of writing from the same writer, W.H. Auden. I should say, I don't read Auden endlessly, but I do read a lot of Fleming Rutledge, who's a preacher who quotes him a lot, and that's where I found this latter one. Just have to be honest. Uh, this is the line from Auden. It's worth, it's worth exploring. Flesh grew weaker, stronger grew the word, until on earth the great exchange occurred. Flesh grew weaker. What does that mean? Well, flesh here does not just mean our bodies. Flesh means in like 
the way that Paul uses the term of incapacity. Flesh means that we are caught up in habits and ways of being in the world that we cannot simply will our way out of. It expresses itself in banal ways, backbiting, gossip, slander. It expresses itself in much more toxic, uh, front-page-worthy ways. The point is this. We are held captive by the power of sin. And that is the language the Bible uses for it. A power, a rival God who holds people captive. That is why we are caught in endless cycles of violence, of war, and of mass shootings. That is why the practices and the attitudes of racism make harmony and solidarity across different people so fleeting, so hard to achieve. Two steps forward, four steps backwards. Friends, that is why the wealth of billionaires during the pandemic has increased by over $4 trillion, and the wages of workers has decreased by $3.7 trillion. You can pick whatever pet sin you're the most animated by. The point is this. We go round and round in cycles of selfishness and indifference and greed and vengefulness. Why? Because the Bible says we are under the power of sin. And look, you may not believe that about yourself. You surely believe that about humankind. We are in a cell that is locked from the outside. And that is why Good Friday, God entering human history from outside human history is at the very center of our faith. Flesh grew weaker, stronger grew the word. Jesus stepped onto the scene to break the power of sin by exchanging his deservedness for our undeservedness, his strength for our weakness, his power for our futility. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is indeed good news. And when you receive it, when it really sinks into your heart, you will never want to see anyone humiliated or left behind or chosen last again. You will not want to see a person get what they deserve because, God forbid, we got what we deserved. May we think of these things as we transition now into an extended time of prayer for God's blessing upon the church and the needs of people everywhere. I invite you to stand.